You guys can grab a seat. You may have noticed we have a few more littler people in here, and I, I absolutely love, love that you guys are in here. Kids, thanks for joining us. It's a good time for us to do stuff together. Um, so I want to encourage those of you that maybe don't have kids, you're like, oh, this kid's kind of being noisy. I can, I can promise you that their parent, their, their mom or dad sitting next to them is like worried about being distracting. So if you, see, if you see that happen, I want you to do this. Are you ready? Okay? I want you to stand up. I want you to put your hand on the person next to him and say, you're doing a great job. Don't worry about it. Okay? Just let it happen. Just let it happen. We're just going to be with it. That's the way it's supposed to be. All right? That's how it's supposed to be. Um, we've been working through uh, the scripture and... and um, Kids, I guess if you can do me this favor, if you can just look over at your parents and nudge them every now and then if they're not paying attention, because I'm sure you're going to do a better job than them in that, okay? So, so just nudge them that way. We've been, since the beginning of the year, we, we started this kind of this, this trek where I, I challenged all of us to say, let's make this a year of authenticity. Let's make this a year where we, we are no longer going to say we believe something and live as if we don't believe that thing. And I challenged us and said, we've been, as we've been working through, I've said, we, we, the gospel is going to change who we are. And so we, we went out of order a little bit. We started in chapter 26, and we went slow through the, the resurrection story of Jesus, 26 and 27, kind of culminating and ending on, on, on Peter and how his, how his reaction, what his reaction was to the resurrection of Jesus. And I share with you and said that there are present-day implications. If, if, if Jesus truly did rise from the, de- the dead and he truly became king and, and this whole thing happened, then that means something for us today, not just some distant hope. And then we went back to chapter 24 and 25 and we spent uh, about two months working through the end times. And, and through that time I said, okay, if there's, if there's this present day implications of how we're supposed to live, well then what is coming? What do we, what do we, what do we have our eyes fixed on the horizon for? And through that, through that study, I, I said we weren't going to define a bunch of isms or is, but ultimately that Jesus is coming back. And if he is coming back, that ultimately that means that we are to live a specific way as well. And now what we're going to do is we're going to fast forward back, which seems like we're skipping a bunch, but again, to, to Matthew chapter 28. And chapter 28 is, is the last, last chapter of, of the book of Matthew. If you don't have your Bibles, slip your hands up, and the ushers will bring one if you, if you need one. Turn with me there. And, and ultimately, if we're going to look at this scripture this way, if, if, Jesus, if Jesus just prior to that last week where he's, he's going to walk himself to the cross only to be, to be buried and raised again, he, he just before he does that, he sits with his 12 disciples and he explains to them, what does it mean about me coming back? What, what can you look for? What are, the, what are the things that you can pay attention to? And what are the implications of that? And then we come to Matthew chapter 28. And if you can remember real quickly, I'm going to kind of dust, dust off the, or blow off the dust in our brains about what happened. This is, this is just after Jesus had already raised from the dead. We talked about it from two, two standpoints on Easter, actually, about Judas and, and Peter. And again, that, that ultimately Judas chose religion and, and a system, and it failed him. And, and Peter chose, through humility, Christ and, and, and Savior and Lord. And, and we saw the redemptive work of that. And out of that redemption, then, is where we pick up the story. Matthew ends on this right here, but the Gospel of John goes a little bit further into detail. What's incredibly interesting about this very section is I believe that the church as a whole, us included, have failed miserably at this. See, if I, if I asked us and said, what is the purpose? What is the point of the church? And I'm sure we'd get a number of things. People would say, well, to bring glory to God. Yes, that's true. And to, to worship together, to, to be a community, to, to, to share the love of God. And we'd all have these great answers, but we actually have the answer, the purpose, the mission is all culminating in this last set of scripture in Matthew 28. 
Jesus gives us the answer. He doesn't, he doesn't leave us hanging. He doesn't make us wonder and, and, and think, but we have predominantly tried to either over-theology or over-knowledge this section and, and make it not applicable to us, or we've just altogether denied it as true and lived our lives as if this does not apply to us. We are some exemption to this. So Matthew chapter 28, we're going to pick up in verse 11. Um, verse 11 is where we're going to go. It says, while they were going, so this is speaking about the women that had just seen Jesus. You know, <laughs> it's interesting. When Jesus goes to, to, to the grave, the disciples scatter. Only the women are present. Like, I think this is a good time to say the women were right. Okay, the guys weren't. It's just kind of common. We, we're used to saying that. If you're married, you're good at that, right? Like, you're right, honey. The women had it right, and the disciples are scattered. So as they were going, they just got told by Jesus, who was resurrected, as they worshiped him on his feet, tell the disciples to go ahead to Galilee. I'll meet them there. And so as they were going, behold, some, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. We don't know what the guards saw. We don't know if they saw the angels show up and the tomb, uh, the rock be rolled away and they see Jesus walk out. We don't know if they just got knocked out and woke up with the tomb empty. We don't know exactly specifically what they saw, but ultimately that they saw something. So they go and tell the chief priests, hey, this is, this is a big deal. Um, the tomb's empty. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, the elders gave these guards a sufficient sum of money sufficient. This is, that's a, that's a poor word. They gave him a whole lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. And they said, okay, here's what you're going to do. You're going to, um, you're going to tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while you, while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. And so they, What's really interesting is in just after, in the resurrection, the only people that actually applied Jesus' teaching were the chief priests. The guards were there because they believed that Jesus had said that he would raise in three days later. So like, just in case some stories want to happen or whatever, let's put guards in place. And then the resurrection happens, and the chief priests are again like, okay, let's just, let's just pretend it didn't happen and say while you were sleeping. Now, that seems like a, okay, well, they're trying to bribe him and do that. That is a huge thing for a soldier to say. Ultimately, they would have basically been giving away to saying, I didn't do my job. The one thing, I had one job, right? And the one thing you called me to do, and I didn't do it. And there would have been immense consequences from, from their authority. So the guards are, are told this, and, and ultimately, the, we know the story as it doesn't matter. And, and realistically, some three to 500 people see the resurrected Jesus after he, he, he comes out of the grave. So it's kind of like, okay, the guards said the disciples did it, and I saw Jesus. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know which story is going to win out. Right? And this is why we've, we've known this forever. So, so there's this, this, this plot to try and keep hidden the very thing that God is, is doing, which completely fails. Then Jesus meets his disciples in Galilee. And we know that the 11 are there as we read on, but we can also safely assume that there's more disciples that are there. That the word got out that Jesus is resurrected and so others would have gone to Galilee to see him. So at this point, some, some scholars think that there could be some four or 500 disciples of Jesus in, in Galilee. But either way, we know for sure the 11 are there. And verse 16 says this, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Okay, if you ever wanted a reason to, to maybe just a, a side reason to figure out if the Bible is, is, is true and, and real, if I were trying to make up a story, I wouldn't say that the disciples of Jesus doubted. I would have just skipped that whole part out. 
So they were there, they worshiped God. No, the fact that some doubt it is just another way to say, okay, there is, there is something happening here. This is, this is a full and accurate account of what we have in place. And some doubt it. We don't know if it's some of the 11. It seems unlikely because they've already seen Jesus at this point, but most likely some of the 500. But all of them worshiped him either way after the first interaction. There's only one other spot that we get in the Gospels where Jesus is worshiped, and it's right after he walked on water. And in both instances, in both instances, Jesus receives that worship, which is a very, very big deal because we are to worship God alone, and Jesus is, is accepting this worship. And so we don't know how long this worship, they're prostrating, we don't know what they're saying or what they're doing, we don't know how long this happens, but it's in this setting when they all recognize that he is the resurrected God, he is Jesus in, 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 in full power and authority. He stands up and he says, well, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you what I expect from you. Now, We've always had those moments when you have someone's attention. And some of the kids in here with you, like, you know when you have your kid's attention, you know when they don't, when you don't. Like, look, look at me. Come on, look at me. Pay attention. Like, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure just by the fact that they worshiped him, I'm pretty sure Jesus had every single one of those disciples' attention. And so if you're thinking about a powerful message to get out, when you know you have the attention of every single person right there, what is it you're going to say? And Jesus sends out what we affectionately know as the Great Commission. Now, why would he do that? Because I believe that the church has missed this very thing for some reason unknown other than just laziness or, or unwillingness or, or ignorance or whatever it may be. We've, we've, we've missed the fact that Jesus resurrected on earth prior to leaving. Matthew ends here. Matthew just ends it right here on this commission. And we miss that this is actually the point, the purpose of the church. Yes, we're gonna bring glory to God. Yes, we are to worship God. Yes, we are to serve one another. Yes, we are to, to feed the hungry. But ultimately, it is all blanketed and all covered in the fact that we are to do this very thing. So let's look at what he's asking us to do. In verse 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're going to talk more about that next week. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so Jesus goes on to this, and if you spent any time in the church, you've heard this. You've heard this great commission. You're like, oh yeah, we're supposed to do that. Like, we're gonna make disciples, and I don't really know what that means, and okay, cool. Like, how, how do I do that? And we, we have this, we have this, this wrestling. Okay, well, what does it maybe mean to go? And some of us, I think, we have a, 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 only a part view of what it means to make disciples. Some of us see this go, and, and missionaries, well-meaning missionaries, have used this as an excuse to leave their current area and head across the world. And I think that's absolutely applicable. But the way that this word is actually used in go isn't to mean go, it's having gone. The way that this is actually meant in its original Greek is having gone. Having gone, go make, having gone, make disciples. And so it's actually not a command at this point. Jesus is, is just assuming that you're already going to be doing that. So the assumption is made by Jesus. Okay, well, as you go, as you're on your way, because you're going to do that, in your life, in your day-to-day -day basis, make disciples. And so go is, is, is literally having gone. He doesn't, he doesn't command there. But what he does command is disciples. Make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? And we, we, we wrestle with that all the time. What was a disciple of Jesus, a disciple of me, like John the Baptist had disciples. What, what specifically is a disciple? And the way that this word translates, make disciples, is actually understood in saying one who, the word has a meaning that is both believing and learning. 
See, a lot of people have tried to use this specific text for a reason to evangelize, meaning go out and, and bring someone to Christ, and all right, they came to Christ, peace out, good luck, figure it out. But when Jesus says make disciples, it includes the, the believing, but it also brings with it the learning. So what Jesus is essentially saying is that you're not making just a follower, you're making people who are following Jesus. It's not just someone that can say, I believe in Jesus, it's that they actually follow on in their life through Jesus. In the gospel, a disciple is both a learner and a follower. A disciple takes Jesus as his teacher and learns from him, and a disciple also follows Jesus. This is the part I love this. I wrote this down. The life of a disciple is different because of his attachment to Jesus. The master is not giving a command that will merely secure nominal adherence to a group, but one that will secure wholehearted commitment to the following, to the person. So a disciple is someone that is fully following Jesus. They're, they're, they're laying out their life. And then he goes on and says, you're to baptize them. Well, this should go without saying, but it, it makes sense to say that a wholehearted commitment to Jesus would mean that you are baptized if you're a follower of Jesus. So for those of you that are, that are following Jesus, you're like, I haven't been baptized. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I haven't want to be baptized. I'm not sure where it's at. This is my, my shameless plug to say as a disciple of Jesus, he's, he's commanding you to not only be making disciples, but to baptize as well. So you, you need to see the baptism through. We're going to, at our, at our um, camp out, we're doing a baptism. So if you're going to that or if you're going to come up on that Sunday, we're going to do baptism up at Lake Cascade. So I would encourage you to sign up for that. But he says, baptize them. And again, baptism isn't anything bigger than it is a aligning myself with the death and resurrection of Christ. It's not the thing, but he goes on from there. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is one very specific spot where Jesus speaks about what we theologians have, have after the date called it the Trinity, where God is, is not only three parts, but he's also one. He's one and three and the same, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and God all work together in this way. And some have tried to, to negate this. There's other specific spots where we see Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit interacting actually specifically around Jesus' baptism. We see it as well. And so we see this, this inner working in place. And Jesus uses a singular, singular word here. He doesn't say in the names of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is a very clear, clear understanding of that. But it doesn't just, making disciples isn't just them following Jesus, isn't them being baptized, it's, it's, Jesus goes on. He says, and teach them. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded them. This isn't some education for education's sake. There's a lot of us in here that love to just study God's word. I just want more knowledge. I want more knowledge. I want more knowledge. Observe actually means that you're doing the very things that you understand. So it's not a, hey, teach them to, to be able to understand every single thing in the end times, but have no bearing on their life at all. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, no, no. Let's go back to my first sermon. Teach them what it means to be meek. Teach them what does it mean to be poor in spirit. What does it, what does it, what does it mean to turn your other cheek? What does it mean to live out the teachings of Jesus in a day-in and day-out basis? Not just some think knowledge that I have. I'm smart and I can define the Greek or the Hebrew from it, but how does this play out in my day-to-day life? I think this is where we get in trouble. See, because he didn't say, he didn't say, teach them to observe a few things that are comfortable for them to like. He doesn't say, hey, teach them to observe just, just, you know, just the last section of the gospel, not the first part. The first part's pretty hard. No, he says, teach them to observe all things. 
everything. And this is where I think the biggest roadblock between you and I, those that profess to follow Jesus, wrestle with this making disciples part, is because all of us can see an area in our life where it's like, that is not a disciple of Jesus. I am short in this area. I'm failing financially. I'm failing morally. I'm failing, I'm failing in my pride or my arrogance. Or I'm failing in my anger. I keep seeing the failure here and here again. And so we use that as an excuse to say, well, I'm not capable of making a disciple. I, I don't have what it takes because, I mean, who would want to follow this? And we forget that, that ultimately it's, it's Christ who's leading us in that. It's the work of Jesus Christ and his spirit in us that is calling us to do it. And what happens is, is that we, we start hamstringing ourselves. We start holding back because we're like, I can't, I can't seem to get this pride thing under work, and so I, I just, I might as well not pour anything. I have nothing to offer anyone. And that is just such a lie. See, part of the pride issue for us in making disciples is that almost every single person in here, no matter whether you've been following Jesus for a year or you've been following Jesus for 30 years, whether you're 60 years old or 15 years old, every single one of us is looking up, saying, okay, who's going to disciple me? When this isn't a command to say, hey, go find someone to disciple you, the command is that you actually go and disciple someone. I believe absolutely in being discipled and being poured into, and that's something we need, that's something we value. But the issue is, is in the church today, is that we're all waiting for someone else to do it to us. We're all holding back and saying, well, when I get X here, then I'll be ready. When the humility in us would say, hey, I can't, I can't seem to get rid of this pride. And I remember I was, I was at this one thing and I heard this guy talking about pride. I'm just going to go to him. I don't know him that so well. I'm going to say, dude, I'm, I'm so prideful. How did, how did God beat that in you? And they may be five years younger than us. They may have followed Jesus for 10 years less than us. But to believe or assume that they have absolutely nothing to offer us is a lie from the enemy. To keep us ill-equipped. To make us assume that the only thing we're doing is just hoping that maybe someone will profess faith, but then they're on their own from there. Making disciples is a command. In fact, in all these things, baptize and, and teach, it's not baptize, it's baptizing, teaching. It's a continual thing that's happening over and over and over again, and all of us have something to offer. I heard a pastor once say it this way, and I thought it was brilliant. He said, he said, it's not my job to take what I know and to fill someone else's cup. Okay, here's all the knowledge. I gotta fill you up. My job is to just pour out whatever's in my cup. See, here's what I got. You, you want it more of that, you're gonna have to go to someone else for it. And we assume that we have to know absolutely everything. You know where this really becomes an issue? Is in parenting. See, as a parent, if I'm not confident in discipling someone else, what makes you think that I'm gonna be confident in, in discipling my own children? And what we do is we just continue to perpetuate the cycle in the church where it's people kind of know about Jesus and they rely on some, you know, professional to teach them, but they don't really understand that this actually speaks to every single follower of Jesus. We're all on the hook for this. See, those who believe Jesus were witnesses to his resurrection. And we've, he's given us the responsibility to, to share that hope, to, to live that hope out. Evangelism is, is announcing God's good news and focused, it's focused on Jesus to bring people to faith and obedience. It's still the central way in which Jesus' authority is manifested, but evangelism does not just come at knowing Jesus. It comes at living and following him. 
So the obvious statement is that maybe some of us right now, we would realize that probably the reason why we're not engaged in this at all is because we're not really living like a disciple. We can see so many areas in our life where it's like, man, I am, I am not in any way, shape, or form a disciple of Jesus because Jesus says to be generous, to be kind, to be, to be trustworthy, to be faithful, to be righteous, like all those things. And I, like, other than the fact that his righteousness is what I have, I'm failing at everything else. And so for some of us, it's, it's, it's us recognizing that it's, it's, it's God's time. It's time for God to say, okay, work in me. Redeem this. Some of us, like I said, it's just your own pride saying, I cannot beat this, and I've tried over and over again, and, and everything in me is afraid of someone else knowing about this. But I see the freedom that that person has. I see when they talk about that. I can't believe that they've been free from that. And, and, and instead of being humble enough to say, okay, help, help me understand, what did God do? How did this work? We think it's better to just pretend that it's, we've got it all together. And we're hollowing ourselves out. And then we're not really making disciples because disciples are fully surrendered to God's will. And that means to be fully surrendered to God's will is that when Jesus pushes on you and says, hey, hey, Bren, that vine, this whole section right here isn't, isn't, isn't connected to me. I gotta, I gotta cut away at that. It's gonna hurt. It's gonna be painful, but I'm gonna cut away because at, at the end of this, when you get rid of this, you're gonna look more like me. And that's, and that's what the purpose of this is. And so... Jesus gives us this, this command to go and do it. It seems kind of ludicrous that he commands us to do this, and it's like, well, how do you do it? I, I made the joke last in service that it, it really seems kind of ambiguous, right? Jesus doesn't go, okay, Peter. Peter, look at me. Come here, buddy. Focus in. Okay, here's what you're going to do, Peter. I need you to go to the coffee shop. I need you to find this person at the coffee shop. Okay, order your favorite latte, whatever it is, whatever you get. And I want you to tell them, like, get the latte, and they need to have this conversation. Then they're going to say this, and then you're going to do this thing. And then the next week, you're going to invite them to this. And he doesn't give out this map of, okay, here's how it's going to play out, Peter. This is exactly what you need to do. There are endless resources on different discipleship models out there. I mean, endless. And some of them are so brilliant. Some of them are a lot of words. <laughs> some of them are just busy work. Endless things. But, but here's the thing. I think that Jesus doesn't really lay it out letter by letter and word by word and say this is exactly what it looks like is because he's already created you to be one. You know what it means to be one. He's already called you. He's already saved you. He's restored you in his, in, in, by walking to the cross. So he says, you, you know what it means to obey me and observe all that I command. You just at times choose not to do it. And so all your, your role is is to walk with other people in that. And that means that for us, in, in, you know, our day and age, we're going to have to get past the awkwardness of walking up to someone and saying, hey, I noticed that you seem to really, really struggle with the way you communicate to your, to your wife. And there's that risk, right? Oh, who are you to judge? The Bible tells us not to judge. And we start pride, pride, pride. See, I, I, I used to struggle with that too. And I, I don't know, maybe, I, maybe we can pray together. Maybe I can work with you on this. Or, hey, I really struggle with my wife, the way I communicate to my wife. And I notice the way you communicate seems so gentle and so loving. Is it like that when the doors are closed, like, you know, behind the walls? How did you get there? It takes us being willing to, to, to be in each other's business a little bit more. It's, it's interesting. I, I kind of, I laugh because I'm not an introvert. In case you're wondering, I'm fairly extroverted. Um, but... <laughs> 
I think about this making, making disciples for introverts. I was like, this is probably one of the scariest things out there, right? Wait, wait, wait. You mean that I'm going to have to interact with someone? Like, like, this is, like, this could be kind of a difficult call, right? Like, it's like, whoa, wait, how does this play? Well, here's, here's what I realized. Even in that, even in the way you are, God created you that way. He, he knows your idiosyncrasies. He knows your inabilities, and he's already saying, no, 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 I have work for you too. I have work for you that, that some annoying extrovert can't do. I have work for you that's going to play a role in a beautiful way. So do it. You know what? One of the biggest things I think is never looked at in this text is, is the disciples got one thing massively right. Massively right. And we just kind of read right over it. They were on the mountain that Jesus told them to be at. And some of the biggest role in our life is just being available. Right? So many of us make ourselves unavailable for the call of discipleship. We make us unavailable for, for God's work. The best thing we can do sometimes as a disciple is just be available. All right, God, I'm, I'm available. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about re- redeeming the time that we get stuck in some long line. Why are we stuck in that? Maybe God is, is lingering us around someone that needs to know more of the hope of Jesus Christ. So what would it look for us to just be available? Some of you, you've made yourselves so busy that, that like being available was something you only remember saying before you were married. You're so busy. And Jesus has been saying, hey, hey, go. And you're like, but I want to go to Africa. He's like, no, no, that's great. You just go to Dutch Brothers today. <laughs> yeah, Africa will come, but, but right now it's Dutch Brothers. Some of you are like, man, I, just, I need to be a part of a bigger mission. He's like, you already are a part of it. I kind of commanded you to do it right from the beginning. You're already a part of the biggest call of your life. One of the things that I meet with people over and over and over again as a, as a pastor is trying to discern the future. God, where's, where's God taking me? Do I go to school here or do I not? Do I marry this person or I don't? Do, I, do we have children now? Do we look at this job? Do we look at moving houses? And all of those things are good. They're great. But it's almost like we forget that in all of those things, the very, very first question is, God, in that move, is there something you're calling me to do? God, is the reason why I'm being tugged to, to, to leave the state is because I'm running for something or because I'm running to you? God, God the, the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm in this job right now, I, I don't like my boss, but is there a reason why I'm here because I'm supposed to be doing something that has nothing to do with my work, which is kind of a secondary thing anyways, considering what you said is the main purpose, primary purpose of a believer Jesus is to make disciples. I had a friend that got a job, he got a teaching job this last week, and he was in my garage when we were, we were hanging out when he actually got the call, and it was really, really awesome because I was like, man, I wish everyone would do it this way. He, he got the call, got the job. He was like, oh, it's like my dream job. I'm like, why is it your dream job? He's like, well, because my boss is a believer, and it's a teaching job, but I know that he's not going to care or he's not going to be in my throat when I really want to be there for the right reasons. I'm like, how brilliant is he? He got a job. He's just excited he's going to get paid, but he realizes his primary focus is to be an influence in the kids' lives for Jesus Christ. What would happen if each of us actually looked at our jobs that way? What would happen if, if each of us viewed our families that way? Some of us are asking God to send us across the world, and he's like, I just need you to go talk to your sister who's in the other room. God, send me, send me, send me something really, really sexy and social justice. It's like, it's good and awesome. He's going, no, yeah, that's great. But, you know, on campus, you're in school, and there's, there's about 100 people around you every single day that I need you, I need you to be my hope, to be my hands. Honestly, I feel like 
I'm not God, but I feel like Jesus could have had a little bit better model, <laughs> right? Like, Jesus, you're going to leave this whole making disciples in the hands of us? You should have, like, hedged your bet or something, like, backup plan. But he doesn't because all authority is his, and he is with us, which we'll go into next week. But the question I have for you guys today before we end is, is are you making disciples? Whether you've been following Jesus for a year or you've been following Jesus for so many years you can't even remember. Is there someone in your life that he's, he, is, he has placed strategically that you've just been ignoring? You've been, or, or even worse, you've been excusing away. God, I'm just not ready. I can't share it now. My, my first experience of like evangelizing someone in the workplace when I was challenged with this ended with the guy calling me an immense hypocrite. And you know what was amazing? He's, he was absolutely right. Absolutely right. It devastated me. But you know what it did? He's still in my life. I still pray for him. I still hope for him to see Jesus. But you know what it did? Is it, it, it helped me realize that, that I got to stop saying I believe one thing and living another way. Because if I want to actually have any kind of involvement in the mission that God's given me, I need to be a disciple myself. I challenged you a couple weeks ago saying, in the last few weeks actually, saying that if we actually understood what it meant to be in the presence of Jesus Christ, when he came back, we understood like if there was a word that would actually define that that amazing experience. We have we have no dictionary that can that can can actually bring about awareness to it. But if we could just taste just a little bit of it, we'd realize just how good that is, and we'd see everything else pale in comparison. Well, the same applies to making disciples. If we know it's going to be that good, then we don't want to see any of these people that God has around us not there. We don't want to see people limping along that continue to walk in disobedience and say they believe in Jesus, say, no, like, there's a better way. God has designed a better way for you. We are all on the hook for this. So the band's going to come up, and we're going we're gonna to worship some more. And next week, we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about how we do this. So you guys are like, wait, how do we do this? Well, we do it. We're commanded to do it. Next week, I'm going to talk more specifically about how we do it. But the Lord has given a, the church a, a supreme mission. Okay, the mission is, is very, very clear. It's, he calls every single believer to be an instrument at filling this mission. So you, none of you are exempt from this. But I, I want to I challenge you with two things before we leave. The, the first one is that I'm, I'm going to ask you to do something this week. This is your homework, and you guys can, can choose to not do it if you want to, but I believe that every single one of us need to do this. Is I want you to find a quiet spot. Just, maybe it's five minutes. Some of, you, some of you, like, with kids around and kids are getting out of school, you're like, I'm going to have to hide myself in a closet or, like, I don't know what's going to happen, but, but find a, a quiet spot. Maybe it's at night when everyone's asleep. Just by yourself. You can, you can do this with your spouse as well. This could be a great thing there. I just want you to just, just ask God one question. It's one word. You ready? It's just a really, really simple one. I want you to ask God who. I don't want you to say any other words. Just say, God, and let him, let him bring into your mind who. And, and some of you, he's going to bring in someone. It's going to be like, you know what? You've been walking so long, so blindsided by this, this pet sin that you've like trained it to sit and follow you all day long. And the who I'm bringing is someone that's going to speak into that. And it's going to hurt and your pride's going to be beat up. But I'm telling you right now, what I have for you is better. And some of the who is going to be this person at Dutch Brothers. You go every day. I don't, I don't ever go there. I don't know why that came up. But Dutch Brothers, if you... This person you go and get coffee from every single week, and it's like I can't get them out of my mind. I can't. Some of you, it's, it's a family member. Some of you, it's your spouse. Some of you, it's it's someone that like 
God has put around you that you know has been following Jesus, but they're just kind of floundering because they, they, they need the direction that someone once gave to you. And I just, I challenge you to say, who? And, and here's the thing. Right now, you're somebody like, well, I'm too busy when I get, no, 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 no. <laughs> everything you do, everything you do is secondary to this. This is the greatest call for the church. This is your purpose. Those of you are like, I just wish God would tell me what to do. It's right here laid out for us, right? Like, it's like, it couldn't be any more clear. Just put your name in the front. Bren, go make disciples. Oh, man. <laughs> I was hoping that was for someone else. Very, very clear. And then the second challenge is do something with it. If he, if he says the who to you is, is someone that like, man, you, you're, you're done. You're done dealing with this. This sin, you can't get rid of it. You're done. And I'm, I am not going to leave you as my child there. And he brings someone to mind. Then you take every bit of your pride and you squash and you go to the humble and you say, I don't know what to do. Everything I've tried thus far hasn't worked. Help. And don't come in with the answers and say, help. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah I, know, I know that, I know that. No, like, your pride has got to be gone. And some of you, it's the other way. Some of you are like, man, I, I've only been following Jesus for like a year, and I don't know a lot. Well, great. You know what you do know that someone else doesn't know is that there's hope. There's a hope that makes no sense. There's a peace that makes no sense to this world. And you carry that. You have that due to the resurrection. So go and make disciples. Whoever it is. My challenge for you is, is to interact with them in a way where you're not like, well, I just hope to be around them someday and they're going to know who Jesus is. I, I've made this joke before. It's not really an intuitive message. You know, the whole like, I just tip really well and someone gets a tip like, oh my gosh, Jesus is my Lord. Like that doesn't usually happen, all right? Like that doesn't usually happen that way. It can, God can do it, but it doesn't usually happen that way. It's not super intuitive in that way. It's time for you to, to share that. Some of you, and I mean this like, and I, I love you, and I don't mean this to sound harsh. Some of you need to start doing this with your kids. Stop putting what is your call, what is your command on the church's job. It's the church's job to support. Maybe that's who. Some of you, you need to lead your spouse. You've been, you've been skirting the issue for a long time. Whatever it is, he's going he's gonna to speak to you. He's faithful to you. But let's start moving on it. Start acting on it. And when you get to a spot where you're like, man, I don't, I'm at a spot. Like, here's, here's the thing. If you're like, man, I don't know what to say. And you come up and you're like, hey, do you know Jesus? And you're like, no, I don't know Jesus. And here's the 18 theolog theological reasons why. And you're like, did you, can you answer those? No, I have no idea. Sorry. <laughs> let's, let's go find some way to study this together because I don't know the answers. You don't have to know everything. You just have to know the one who does. We pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for calling us to a mission that is way bigger than ourselves. Thank you for inviting us into something that is the best news. We all love being the one that gets to tell someone about great news. I got a job or getting married. It's always so fun, but to be able to be the ones that carry the best news ever, what an honor. God, I pray that each of us would be inundated with um, this call. We'd be, we'd be hit hard by your, by your spirit in this, and that he would lead us to, to more richer conversations, to more faithful actions. And God, for those of us that have been walking unfaithfully, we've been walking in disobedience, God, would you, would you break down our pride? Would your spirit surround our hearts? And would you bring around people around us to help us to walk in a way worthy of our calling, Lord? God, I thank you for the ability to pray. And Lord, I pray this week, as, as even right now, there's probably been a who that's, that's popped in the minds of the individuals in here. I pray that you would do what only you can do, a divine divine altercation where that person for some reason that makes no sense at all crosses our paths. 
where that person calls for some reason or there. We haven't seen them on Facebook forever, but their Facebook post pops up. God, I pray whoever that person is that you would start crossing our paths today. You would inundate us with this. You would, you would overwhelm us with this. You would, you would, in some ways, God, kind of freak us out about how good you are and how faithful you are to do this call. God, I, I pray that you, I ask that you forgive us for not making disciples, for being too afraid or ignorant or, or excusing or lazy or whatever the reason is to not do the very thing that you, when you had everyone's attention, spoke as a command to do. We thank you for your grace in that. And we pray, God, that we would not waste another single day, another single hour, where we're not intentionally making people who are following you, observing all things, not just some. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.